Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Trevor, are you a Strava guy? Absolutely, Kyle. Well, you got me into it. You <laughs> should swear and curse at you for all you've done to me. <laughs> I did. I, I knew that you would be into Strava. Well, you can actually use Strava and your addiction to Strava to your benefit now. Because if you head over to healthiq.com slash velonews, uh, Health IQ, which is a company that provides life insurance for fit folks like us, you know, cyclists, runners, uh, swimmers, vegans, uh, whatever, whatever makes you fit. Uh, you can now use your Strava, upload your Strava to Health IQ and use that to get a discount on life insurance. All you got to do is head to healthiq.com slash velonews. Do they provide for Canadians or will they just laugh at me? <laughs> no Canadians allowed. Sorry. <sighs> Welcome back. Dear listeners, to another episode of Fast Talk, I am Kaylee Fritz, senior editor here at News, and I'm sitting across the table from none other than Coach Trevor Connor, celebrity in the building. How are you, Trevor? After that introduction, Kaylee, I'm doing great. <laughs> He's looking swell. Uh, <laughs> let's jump right into this today. The topic of today's Fast Talk podcast is something that we get asked about all the time. I know that I get asked about it and I definitely don't have any answers. So I don't know why anyone's asking. Trevor gets asked about it all the time. Uh, he does have some answers. Lucky for us. The topic is cramping. Now I have had quite a bit of personal experience with cramping. Unfortunately, I have cramped really, really bad every single time I raced Leadville. That's all three times I raced Leadville. That was really unfortunate and really painful. I've cramped at the end of long road races. I've cramped hours after long road races, <laughs> pretty frequently, actually. Uh, you know, you're sitting at the table at dinner and you put your foot behind you and all of a sudden your hamstring cramps up. That tends to happen to me all the time. And I've always kind of wondered why this is. Now, there have been a lot of theories thrown around uh, about cramping. Sort of the most prevalent, I think, is this sort of electrolyte hydration based theory. And we're here to tell you today that that is probably not the most likely reason that you are cramping. So this might be a little surprising to some of our listeners because this electrolyte hydration story has been told for a long time. There are a lot of products out there that are reliant on this theory. So if it's wrong and it looks like it is, then that has a dramatic impact on the things that you all do to keep cramps at bay. For more on this, we caught up with Dr. Martin Schwellness head of the Sports, Exercise, Medicine, and Lifestyle Research Institute at the University of Pretoria and director of an IOC-accredited research center. He's the guy who flipped the theory on cramping. We also catch up with Rob Pickles, a.k.a. the illustrious Mr. Pickles, a world-renowned physiologist currently working with Pearl Zumi, and Kendall Draypack Pro, Tom Squinch. A quick note before we get started. Kaylee and I recorded a podcast on cramping before he went to the tour. And then while he was away, I had this opportunity to interview Dr. Swellness, which we definitely had to take. We combined the two together because we felt they both had some real value. But there are a couple points where the two recordings do contradict one another a little bit. It's up to you who you want to believe, but personally, I would go with the guy who can legitimately claim to be the top expert on cramping in the world. So with that, let's make you fast. 
Yeah, I will tell you, I get asked about the electrolytes all the time, and, or asked about cramping all the time. And when I tell people it probably isn't an electrolyte issue and taking those salt tablets that they think are going to cure their cramping uh, might not work, I, I don't get a lot of happy responses. Um, it's not what people want to hear. People want to hear that, yeah, you take some sodium and magnesium and the cramping's going to go away. So why is this controversial, Trevor? I mean, it seems like this is something that we would have figured out by now. This is this is a very common occurrence. This is a race-ending issue for a lot of people. Uh, it, it should be at the top of the list for the world's sport physiologists, and yet we don't necessarily have any super definitive answers, and we may actually have been told the wrong thing for decades. That really surprised me as well. When I was doing my research on cramping, actually for an article that I wrote a couple of years ago, I thought... They must have a ton of science behind this. It, it, it certainly has been researched a lot. But when you think about it, it's a really hard thing to study because think about the times you've had a cramp. It's often at the end of a long race. It doesn't happen every race. It seems to happen somewhat infrequently. The issue is getting somebody into a lab, hooking them up to the equipment and waiting for them to have a cramp, which you just don't know when that's going to happen. And if I'm having a cramp, I also don't want to be hooked up to equipment. <laughs> no, no, you don't. They Pretty can, uncomfortable. They can electrically stimulate a cramp, but then really the only thing they can conclude about what causes cramping is we hooked up electrodes to you and shocked you, mm. and that caused a cramp. So that really doesn't answer why are you cramping out on a, a bike race. One of the, the top researchers in cramping who proposed this alternate theory that's, that's really what's taking over now um, is a, a Dr. Martin, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but Swellness um, in Cape Town, South Africa. And he actually came up with some creative ways of studying it. One was he got 210 Ironman athletes to participate in a study when they were doing an Ironman, assuming that of those 210 during an Ironman, at least a few of them are going to cramp. And that was the case. They had 43 that cramped. And he took blood samples beforehand. He took blood samples after and to look at the, the whole question of electrolytes and found that there was no difference between the cramping group and the non-cramping group in terms of electrolyte balance, in terms of, of uh, their plasma levels, anything. It, it just the, the evidence was not there for this electrolyte theory. Interesting. Maybe we should start with what exactly a cramp is. Do we know what a cramp is? Not what causes it, but like what exactly is happening there? I mean, as you said, we could they, they're able to remake cramps in the laboratory by shocking you with electricity, which tells me that we at least sort of know what they are, if not what causes them. Cramp is just quite simply a muscle contracting and then not relaxing and inappropriately contracting. That can be really, really painful for you, especially if it contracts hard. But also, let's say you're on a bike and you're pedaling and all of a sudden your hamstrings contract. That means they want to stay shortened. And every time you go through that pedal stroke, now you have to forcefully lengthen that muscle. Um, it's not going to be happy about that. And that can cause tearing. That can cause a lot of pain. Generally, unpleasurable experience. Right. <laughs> so I think part of the reason you saw people tend towards it's an electrolyte issue is obviously you had a neural activation of the muscles and the sodium potassium it, it, I don't want to get too much into the physiology of nerve cells um, but it's a, a release of um, potassium and a take up uh, the nerve cell taking up sodium that causes a the nerve to fire 
likewise, what causes a muscle to uh, contract is a release of calcium that's then absorbed back up. So the thought here is if these electrolytes start getting out of balance, your, your nerves aren't going to fire correctly uh, and muscles are going to have issues um, contracting. But that in itself somewhat disproves the theory because if you are getting out of balance, all your neurons are going to start having issues. So why do you only have cramping in specific muscles that are working? Right. And working sort of overworking. Right. Well, so the, the, the latest and greatest science is suggesting that the actual cause of cramping is something called altered neuromuscular control. Trevor, I think now is a great time to drop into your conversation with Dr. Schwellness. So first of all, let's introduce you. And I apologize, my uh, I have a co-host for this show, but but he can't be here. He's been over in France covering the, the Tour de France and isn't back yet, but wishes he could be here. How would you introduce yourself? Yeah, that's right. I, uh, I'm a... Uh, a sports or exercise medicine physician or a sports physician, mm-hmm. primary care physician, and I um, have an academic appointment um, at the University of Pretoria um, as the director of a an institute here, which is called the Institute for Sport, Exercise, Medicine, and Lifestyle Research. Um, I'm also involved with the IOC for many years. I'm the director of one of the IOC designated research centers. There are currently nine in the world. And um, I see uh, athletes still uh, consulting um, and see them clinically. And, and then obviously have uh, some teaching responsibilities for postgraduate uh, training of doctors, uh, physiotherapists, and then the equivalent uh, in your uh, part of the world where, you know, is the athletic trainer. Um, so I do some teaching there. And then, you know, obviously I have a very active research program. Well, that's that's very impressive. And let me, I'm, I'm worried I'm going to mispronounce your name. It's Dr. Swellness? Yeah, Schwellness. Schwellness. S-C-H, it's like Schwellness. Like, I don't know if you have a drink there called Schweppes, or there's a company yes. called Schweppes. So the first few words are exactly the same, so Schwellness. Okay, Schwellness. Well, please that's correct me. Right. Please correct me if I get it wrong. So I guess where I'll start with is I wrote an article, uh, it was back around 2011, on cramping and, and went through a lot of the literature back then on, on what the science behind cramping, what causes it. And most of what I read was the more traditional theories um, about electrolytes and dehydration. And I remember finding your study and, and reading a, a few other articles saying, hey, there's this idea out there. Um, but at the time, it really just seemed like it was an idea that, that was a, a little more on the people are just hearing about it side of things. So it was really interesting getting ready for this podcast to go back, review all the literature. And now it seems like this is the dominant idea, um, which has to be very exciting for, for you. Um, and it, it really seems like there's, there's almost no debate left about what's, what's causing cramping. But I guess the first question I have for you is, what was the traditional theory behind cramping and how did that come about? Because it doesn't seem like there's a lot to back it. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I, um, I looked at all of that quite carefully before writing a review, um, and that was back in 2009, uh, that was subsequently published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. And uh, also, you know, researched the, the, the whole history and background of Principally, the two main theories for cramping, which were dehydration and then 
I, I just call them electrolyte disturbances because they varied over the years um, in emphasis from chlorine, um, you know, low chloride concentrations in the blood, which was first found in a few cases um, of workers when they were working on the Hoover Dam and had uh, developed cramping, but quite severe cramping. And uh, at that stage, they couldn't measure serum sodium concentrations, but they could measure serum chloride concentrations and found a, a, a low chloride in a few of these workers. But in reviewing the actual original original descriptions of this, it was quite clear that a number of these workers, although they were working physically and in, in, a, in a hot, humid environment, I think if I remember correctly, about 60 to 70 percent of them, the ones that developed cramping, also had underlying other conditions. Uh, they had um, uh, gastroenteritis in the, firm, in, the, in the form of nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, which particularly if you're vomiting a lot, you're losing quite a lot of chloride right. um, from the stomach. So it wasn't surprising. But those few cases, there were about five or six cases, were the first cases described where a connection was made between possibility of dehydration and electrolytes, in that case chloride, could be the result of their cramping. Uh, there are also anecdotal uh, reports from workers in steamships in the turn of the last century, uh, medical records from the uh, medical officer on the ships saying that they got cramping in these um, the, uh, the coal shovelers in the, in the, in the steamships. Uh, and so I guess that's where the, the concept that dehydration and electrolyte disturbance was born. And then it was never really tested. It was just accepted for decades. And um, when we saw more endurance sports developing and becoming more popular, and in fact other sports, uh, whenever somebody developed uh, cramping associated with exercise, it was almost just um, uh, um, assumed that this was dehydration electrolytes. My, my own interest in this was when I was looking at as a, one of the doctors initially and later on being the responsible medical officer at endurance events, particularly running events, where uh, the most common reason for admission to the medical tent at the end of these races was, in fact, muscle cramping. And, you know, we then said to ourselves that we don't really know what causes this. We don't know how to treat it properly. And uh, as a result, it's... Uh, it started my own investigation into, you know, the, the, what are the possible causes of this. And that was sort of in the mid, early 90s, mid 90s. And I guess the problem is it's a really hard thing to test. You can't just bring somebody into a lab and say, okay, have a cramp now. Well, believe it or not, you can do that, but it's not the same mechanism. Uh, so there are laboratory models to induce cramping. And if I said to you that you could induce probably cramping in yourself, you know, uh, with, a, with a 70, 80% chance that you will, if you take a muscle and, and, and put it in a very shortened position, so this would be easier in muscles that span across more than one joint, and then contract that muscle in that shortened position and hold that contraction for anything longer than, say, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, there's about a 70 80% chance that you'll be able to in, in, induce a, a, a cramp. And uh, you can get treat the cramp by simply stretching the muscle out again. So you can induce muscles muscle cramping in the lab, the problem is it's not exactly necessarily the same mechanism as we see in, 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 in for instance, an endurance athlete. So, uh, you, but you're right. It's not an easy thing to study because, um, you know, we are either reliant on these uh, models in a, in, a, in a laboratory which are not uh, reproducible uh, in the field or you're reliant on 
on on the so-called field studies or uh, clinical studies um, at these events. So my most of my research is in the clinical field type setting because that to me is the real setting. Um, but I have and we have we have experimented with some laboratory models as well. Going back to the, these traditional theories related to electrolytes and, and dehydration, why haven't they been holding up? Well, we, we, we set out to prove that uh, that's the cause of cramping. And that was in the, in the mid early mid-1990s. And the way we did it is we, we, we argued that if, if I take a runner or a cyclist or anybody who, who presents in the medical facility who's clearly cramping, then at that stage, if dehydration or electrolyte disturbances are responsible for the cramping, then uh, what we should be able to do is when we measure those objectively, then we should see the abnormality. And then more importantly, if we uh, wait until the cramp is subsided, whatever the treatment may have been, because these do settle eventually, then dehydration should be back to normal and the electrolyte disturbances should be back to normal. And then the third component that would be even better to show is that before the person started to exercise at the beginning of, say, the event or the race, if we also measured the hydration status at that point and then also the electrolytes at that point, then um, we would have a, a reasonably good study to, to show a, a so-called cause and effect. So that's what we did. We, uh, the first, one of the first studies we did is we took uh, a lot of runners who said that they cramp regularly. So obviously there's a chance that they will cramp in the race. Then we, uh, before they started, we measured their uh, body weight and we also took blood samples to measure their so-called serum osmolality, the concentration of all the osmotically active particles in the blood. And we also measured all the electrolytes in the blood. Then we waited for them at the end of the, uh, end of the race. And, um, you know, it's one of those classic uh, experiments you kind of hope, but hope, you, you don't hope, but you do hope that they develop some cramping. And of course, some of them did, did cramp. And so we had a, we then had a cramp group and then we had a non-cramp group and we were able to measure, repeat these measurements at exactly the same time when they were in the medical tent with an active cramp. And then we, uh, we, uh, treated them and then we repeated all those measures again at the end of the, uh, before they were discharged when the cramp has completely subsided. And we argued that uh, if, for instance, it was a, a dehydration that would be normally hydrated to start off with, dehydrated when they uh, when they have this acute cramp, and back to normal hydration when the cramp has subsided, and similarly with any of the electrolyte disturbances. And we also then had a control group or a group of people who who never cramped, and we obviously could compare then exactly the same kind of responses to the control group. And essentially, the first study we did showed that there was no difference between uh, the controls who never cramped and the cramp group, and that while they were cramping, the electrolyte concentrations and the osmolality in the blood, which is a, you know, a measure of dehydration other than body weight, which we also did measure, uh, we, we showed that there was no, no difference between you know, not being cramp, cramping and not cramping. So there was a complete association between cramping and any of these two things, dehydration and electrolytes. Then we subsequently repeated that in a number of different populations and in much larger groups of athletes. One study was in triathletes and we had a, a large number of triathletes in this particular, in, in particular study. So we reproduced these same results, um, you know, in three different populations. And by that stage, we were convinced that, uh, 
you know, dehydration and electrode disturbance were not related to cramping. What then led you to this? So I believe in your research, you called it the, the altered neuromuscular control theory. What led you to in this direction? Right. That's also a very interesting uh, story because one of my very, very early uh, research students, uh, when we were setting out to doing this, uh, we designed a questionnaire to administer to a number of marathon runners and ask them about cramping. Not just only, you know, how do they treat it and so forth, but we were trying to ascertain what are the factors that uh, could be related to the cramping that they identified. And, and I, 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 I can't remember why we put in this question, but it's just one of those things that did pop into the questionnaire. But we asked them a question about prior to the onset of the cramping, were you or your muscles more fatigued than usual? In other words, was that a, a you know a, a precursor to cramping? And we found that a very large proportion of the of the runners indicated that that was the case. So one of the early onset symptoms of uh, muscle cramping is that a that then that particular muscle the runners said that they were more fatigued than than perhaps in other muscles. So I went back and investigated whether anybody has ever looked at what happens to muscle control, the relaxation, contraction, and then relaxation of the muscle when the muscle becomes fatigued. And there were two um, neurophysiologists who published two papers. They worked together. So one, one of them was the first author in the one paper, and then the other one was the first author in the other paper, and they, Nelson and Hutton, and it was published in MedScience Sports, I think, in the mid-80s, if I remember correctly. And uh, they, they showed in these two papers, the, in, in an animal model, that if they stimulate a muscle that it becomes completely fatigued, then two very important reflexes that control uh, you know, involuntary muscle contraction are altered. So the one reflex is the so-called muscle spindle reflex, which is the, the reflex that if the doctor taps your tendon, and you then have a knee jerk, you know, the knee jerk reaction. Um, that's the, when the muscle spindle, a very special organ in your, in the muscle gets stretched and then sends a signal to the spinal cord. And then the, uh, there's an interneuron, a neuron in between. And then there's a immediate signal from the main uh, nerve that goes to the muscle uh, called the alpha motor neuron. And then that activates that muscle to contract. So that's why when you tap somebody's tendon in the knee and when they relax, then you get this knee-jerk reaction. Right. So it's basically a, a, a reflex reaction to protect the muscle yeah. from any sort of damage. And the muscle contracts in response to the stretching of the spindle. What happens when your muscle gets fatigued, and this is in the one paper from, from these two neurophysiologists, is that this reflex gets highly exaggerated. Uh, that the muscle spindle activity more than doubles in the muscle that gets fatigued. So if you like, the muscle becomes more twitchy when it becomes fatigued. Then the second paper they showed is that the, the reflex that is does the opposite, that causes a relaxation of muscle function or muscle contraction, is a, another organ which is called the Golgi tendon organ, and as the name says, it's in the tendon. And when the, when the muscle is contracted and stretched for a long time, in usually 10 or 15 seconds, then the Golgi tendon organ gets activated, sends a signal back to the spinal cord, and releases not an excite, what we call an excitatory neurotransmitter, but releases an inhibitory neurotransmitter, and that, in other words, inhibits the alpha motor neuron, this uh, nerve going to the muscle, and it actually causes a relaxation. 
So, you know, there's a, there's a control mechanism. As many, 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 many organ systems in the body, there's always a, 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 a system that elicits a response and another system that dampens or, or reduces the response. So in fatigue muscle, they, the same group, Nelson Hutton and Nelson showed that the Golgi tendon organ activity is vastly reduced. So you've got two problems then when the muscle fatigues. The one is you, it becomes more excitable via the exaggerated muscle spindle reflex, and it becomes less able to relax this normal physiology by a dampening down or an inhibition of the Golgi tendon organ reflex. And in my one early papers, I drew a diagram almost like a, a, a balanced situation where the alpha motor neuron, that's the, the, the nerve that controls whether a muscle contracts or relaxes. That alpha motor neuron has in, inhibitory and excitatory signals going to it. And when there's muscle fatigue, then the excitatory signals increase and the inhibitory signals decrease. And that was the beginning of the, the, the thought that this was a alpha, a, an abnormal neuromuscular control mechanism. Of course, the situation is much more complex than that because there are many other reflexes uh, and many other neurons that also connect to this alpha motor neuron. And that can affect its control. So initially, we thought that the main reason for the cramping is muscle fatigue, and the mechanism is this uh, alpha motor neuron controlled spindle and Golgi tendon organ. But now we understand that there are many other, there are many other factors that could influence this alpha motor neuron. Um, and so the theory has moved away from the muscle fatigue theory to the abnormal muscle control theory. But we think that's the common final common pathway of why people would develop a cramp is, is if there's an abnormal control at this alpha motor neuron, at the, the neuron that controls muscle contraction. We also now understand we've got quite a lot of good data to show that the fatigue part is um, manifests itself when somebody where they are exercising or they're competing at a much higher intensity than what they normally train, train at, or the conditions are such that they are you know much more harder. It's, it's a tougher race. For instance, people training on the flat and there's lots of hills, then it would be one of those factors that would increase the risk of developing this fatigue. Imagine that's also why you would see a lot of cramping early in the season in athletes who aren't used to race intensity yet. Absolutely. And, 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 and we have lots of data to show that cramping occurs in the last quarter or immediately after the race, not in the first quarter or in the second quarter. So uh, and it's, uh, we also know that in, in, in athletes where the average running pace, they go out faster, they run faster than what they normally train at. They, those are the you know, factors that would lead to premature fatigue. And, and, and to bring in the environmental issue as well, people say to me, you know, there's this condition called heat cramps. Well, we, we don't believe that there's a condition called heat cramps, but hot, humid environmental conditions are well known to uh, be associated with early fatigue. Right. So it is not the heat, but it's the fatigue that's the problem because people can develop cramping in cold conditions as well. So it's not the temperature, it's the, it's the fatigue. Is there anything else you want to cover? Before Maybe we... just one or two of the risk factors, which I haven't mentioned. We, mm -hmm. we consistently find in all the studies that males are more prone to cramping than females and uh, older males are more prone to cramping than younger males. And that um, there, there are some other underlying conditions. Um, I want to just mention injuries. Uh, in one study, we showed that if you don't uh, taper, for instance, before a race, 
in other words, you've trained hard, hard, hard right up to the race. You haven't given your muscles a chance to rest. They, uh, when we do a blood test, we can detect that there's been some muscle, subtle muscle damage uh, through a, a blood test called the creatine kinase or CK activity. And when you enter your race with a high CK activity, in other words, a subclinical, you're not, maybe not aware of it, but some muscle damage, you're more likely to cramp. So the answer, uh, you know, what I wanted to mention is just these other, you know, risk factors. So being male, being older, uh, then also, you know, the pre-race muscle damage or injury, uh, these are also risk factors for cramping uh, that we have established and uh, would be part of uh, any advice, practical advice on, on how to prevent it. Okay, so Trevor, that conversation with Dr. Schwellness was occasionally a bit over my head. Let's just do a little recap here. So altered neuromuscular control, quick definition. What do we need to know about this latest science in, in cramping? Simplest way to explain it is you have, let's call them organs or structures in your muscles that can control your muscle locally. Obvious example is you go to see the doctor, he hits you on uh, right underneath the, the kneecap with a mallet and your leg jumps. Um, so you have these ways of causing muscles to contract or relax locally. What this theory is saying is that normally we always have a, a pretty good balance of impulses that excite the muscle and cause it to contract and impulses that inhibit and cause the muscle to relax. When a muscle becomes fatigued, that gets out of balance. And what you see is an overbalance towards the excitation. And also really important to know that it really only happens when the muscle is in a shortened state. Uh, not when the muscle is lengthened. So when the muscle shortened, you can get this um, imbalance towards excitation that causes the, the cramping. Is this why when I'm sitting at a dinner table a couple hours after a bike race and like move my my heel up close to my butt and shorten my hamstring, all of a sudden my leg cramps? All of a sudden your hamstring just goes, yeah, and it's like that. And I make weird noises. <laughs> right. And this is also. Uh, as I remember, we, we talked about this briefly in the interview. Most cramping occurs in muscles that cross two joints. So your hamstring cause, crosses your knee. It also cross, crosses your hip because those muscles can go through a very big range of shortening and lengthening. Um, and especially, uh, as you said, if you're sitting down at the dinner table, if you're on a bike, it, it's easy to let that hamstring short. So susceptibility. Why do I get a lot of these and some people don't get any of them? I think that's very rude of them. <laughs> um, one thing that has come out of these studies where they electrically stimulate a cramp, and who would volunteer for that? I don't know, uh, but people do. They have found that people, there, there's what's called a, a threshold, a cramp threshold. It's how much of an electrical stimulation they need to get before they can produce a cramp. And this, again, further backs this altered neuromuscular control theory. People who tend to report cramping more in races have a lower threshold. You just tell me I'm slow? No, I'm telling you you picked your parents wrong. <laughs> Actually, I like Kelly's parents. <laughs> I apologize to them. They're, they have shown... Thanks, mom and dad. Yeah, You're the have, worst. <laughs> so I'll just pause, let you, let you take it out on your family. <laughs> uh, I'm really disappointed in my parents right now because <laughs> they really hurt and I really hate cramps. <laughs> anyway, sorry, continue, Trevor. Other factors that can contribute that 
you can't do much about age. Older people tend to cramp a little more. Men tend to cramp more frequently than women. And injury can also be a big factor. If you think about it, the cramping starts with fatigue. If a muscle is injured and it is not firing well, it's going to fatigue much quicker. So you are more susceptible to a cramp. But ultimately, this is fairly consistent in several of the studies that I read. You see a fitness issue and you see an intensity issue. So when they took triathletes who were all about equal level and then had them self-report when they were cramping in races, the triathletes who cramped more tended to go harder in the races. So they tend to put out better time, which makes sense. If it's a fatigue issue, uh, you are going to fatigue the muscles much quicker if you're going harder and you're going to a higher percentage of your max. Yeah, I mean, purely anecdotally, I, I tend to cramp when I'm not actually prepared for the race that I'm going into, mm-hmm. <laughs> which would explain my my cramping at Leadville after covering the Tour de France every year. You know, the maximum I'm getting is is hour and a half rides a couple times a week for all of July and then jump in a, in a seven-hour mountain bike race in, in the beginning of August. And it's not too surprising that I get three-quarters of the way through that and my legs start to essentially fail me. Right. And cramping tends to happen more at the beginning of the season when people are less fit and where they're going to fatigue more quickly because their bodies aren't used to that intensity. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the team physiologist for Team Sky said the same thing. So that's when the cramping happens in the teams and in the early races when they're just not, the fitness isn't quite there. We've actually seen that in the classics quite frequently. We've seen, we've seen guys like Peter Sagan cramp in some of the early classics and then not cramp at something like yeah. Paris-Roubaix. But one of the questions I get asked a lot is, why do you cramp more in the heat? And I haven't found a single study that, said, that, that backs that up, says when we are actually you know, have people report on cramps, not a single one said, yeah, we saw a correlation with hotter races cause more, more cramping. Hmm. So that might be a bit of a, a perception thing versus a, uh, a strong reality. Or because we were told for so long that this is a hydration and electrolyte imbalance issue that we just sort of went from uh, put two and two together when, when two and two maybe didn't actually equal four there. Right. And the fact of the matter is when people ask me about cramping and I tell them about this, they hate me because what they're expecting me to tell them is, well – Take in more sodium, take in more magnesium, and you're going to be good. Instead, I'm telling them, well, you're not fit. <laughs> so go get fitter. <laughs> Train that's harder. Like, that's, you get the, I don't want to hear that. All right, Trevor, you're in town here. You're in Colorado for about a week and a half. I happen to know that uh, you went to a bicycle race on Sunday. How did that bicycle race go for you? I was fighting a bit of a plague, so not my best. Not your best. That's okay, though, because you can still use that race and that race result, even though it was not a particularly good one, uh, to get a better rate on life insurance from Health IQ. All you got to do is head to healthiq.com slash velonews, and then you can upload your race results from USA Cycling. You can upload your Strava, as we said earlier in the show, and you can get a better rate on your life insurance because you, Trevor, despite the fact that you were racing with a plague on Sunday, are a fit individual. Now that we've covered the basic theory, let's hear from Rob Pickles, who's worked with countless athletes in the lab setting and helped many with cramping issues. Talking from experience, he finds that cramping may not be a single syndrome. As you'll see, Dr. Swellness agrees. <sighs> cramping. Yeah, cramping is a, a topic that makes you go, huh, <sighs> cramping. You know, the reason for that is uh, it's not well understood. 
because in my opinion, cramping is multifactorial. You can cramp for a variety of different reasons. And what's important is that your strategy um, is something that combats that particular reason that you're cramping, right? And so uh, we can cramp from exhaustive exercise because we're glycogen depleted. We can cramp from exhaustive exercise because, you know, our ADP and ATP situation is out of whack and we can't release that actinomyosin cross bridge. Uh, we can cramp because of um, neuromuscular issues. You know, there's products out there like the, um, what's that new thing called? The uh, Trevor, the used to be, it's the nerve. It's, um, it's in the black bottle with the red cap. You know what it is. It's, it's like cayenne pepper based. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Seriously. I'm an idiot and you're an idiot. Yes, we both are today. <laughs> Perfect. Um, there are products out there that are trying to combat cramping by um, stimulating your nervous system when you swallow their spicy drink. And so um, I think it depends on the cramp that you're having. If you're having localized cramp in your calf muscle because you've been riding up steep hills, that's different than having whole body cramping from an electrolyte situation. And you need to deal with the two of those differently. Localized cramping might not necessarily respond to electrolytes. It might not respond to your salt tabs. For me, uh, I'm fortunate, uh, and maybe I'm not as much of an expert in this area as I could be because I'm not really a cramper. Um, if I do an extremely hard, grueling ride that I'm not quite ready for, then sure, my muscles get sore and maybe they start to lock up a little bit toward the end. But in all honesty, for me, that's an anomaly more than anything else. Um, and I do know that other people, they cramp regularly and, and they need to find what is their solution. So this is where I, I wish I had Kaylee with us, my co-host, because um, he's always the one that, that gets me from digging too deep into the science and brings us back to... Uh, um, the, the, the practical side. So looking at this from the athlete perspective, you said fatigue can be part of it. Well, we think it's still a, a big factor, you know, um, mm -hmm. it would be the fatigue would be a major, one major mechanism, but there are other mechanisms that we think also play a role. So from an athlete perspective, what would be some other factors? Okay. So maybe at this point, let me, let me also, you know, make another big point. Um, there is a, also a common misconception um, that muscle cramping or exercise associated muscle cramping, as we've termed it, is one condition with one cause. Um, we now understand that that's not the case because, you know, it's really a, a, a what we would call medicine, a clinical syndrome. That is a, a clinical syndrome is defined as just a group of symptoms and manifestations or signs. Um, it's a bit like uh, saying that, uh, you know, it's like a headache. Uh, when I've got, when I'm complaining about a headache, it could be, uh, the symptoms and signs are a sore head and I may have some, uh, muscle tension and so forth. But there are many, many different causes of a headache. It could be anything from meningitis to, to sinusitis to tension headache, et cetera, et cetera. So in the same way, exercise associated muscle cramping is really a syndrome. We now understand it with a number of different possible causes. It can also range quite a lot in severity. So it could affect a single small muscle group or a single muscle group uh, in a limb, or it could affect more than one muscle group, including so-called non-exercising muscle muscles. Which, uh, in the case of say a runner, it would be your triceps muscle in your in your arm is a non-exercising muscle, and then it could also be associated with a whole body a whole body uh, abnormality, a whole body disturbance when there are things like. Uh, altered uh, consciousness involved, somebody feels dizzy, collapsed, he's comatose, 
all the muscles contract um, in the body, etc. So it is a more complex situation than being a single diagnosis and a single, uh, therefore, single cause. So I can understand that athletes uh, and you know people looking after them, having to try and prevent this or treat it, can become confused about this. And um, so people need to understand that you know this is this is just a it's like saying I've got knee pain, but there are many many different causes of knee pain, and I need to work out what is the what is the cause in my case. So not to make it too complicated, you know, we now think uh, that we should be referring to these uh, as either you know sort of primary uh, muscle exercise associated muscle cramps, and then so-called secondary exercise associated muscle cramps. The secondary ones are when there's another underlying you know, secondary condition um, that's associated. So we've just uh, published a paper where we've shown in a very, very large group of, of runners that there are a number of different um, factors that are associated with athletes, particularly those with recurrent cramping. And so let me give you one example, then you'll understand. So if you take certain types of medication for anything from asthma, one of the pumps that, uh, you know, the so-called beta to stimulant pumps, or in many runners, older runners, uh, they take a statin drug that's used to lower cholesterol concentrations in the blood. Those two drugs, for an ex- as an example, are associated with muscle cramping. And so if you take a statin or if you take a, a beta-2 agonist in a high dose, then uh, you are more likely to develop muscle cramping because those also affect that neuromuscular control mechanism separately from, from fatigue. You know, every runner, every athlete who develops cramping, if it's a single episode, then it's probably in most cases, in most runners that I see, and I see lots of athletes with cramping, one can work out that in that particular event, what the precipitant was it, uh, that caused the premature fatigue. It's usually not well conditioned for the race, going out too fast, uh, environmental conditions that were conducive to development of premature fatigue, etc. And that's usually in the, in the runner with a, or the athlete with a once-off episode. And we do get worried and cons- more concerned when somebody complains of regular, repeated episodes of cramping all the time. Uh, and in those instances, we need to look at those, what I would call those secondary causes. Okay. Uh, we need to look at, you know, have they got underlying chronic disease of some sort? You know, I've seen many crampers with uh, recurrent cramping that have got a number of underlying conditions, and I'll, I'll mention one or two. For instance, uh, an underactive or overactive thyroid gland, um, as an example, and, and as I mentioned, the medication use as well. So we go through all of that. They need to really – a recurrent cramp needs to be seen by someone and then have a full-on assessment of the entire health status and sometimes have to do some investigations to look at these um, more subtle conditions like hypothyroidism in order to make the right diagnosis because no – no degree of training or, you know, drinking more fluids or electrolytes will sort out the problem if the person has got a hypothyroidism, for instance. So if somebody, if one of our, our listeners right now is having very frequent cramping, basically they should be going in and getting a full medical evaluation. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. They should have a full medical evaluation and, um, and, and have a look at these so-called secondary causes of cramping. Uh, we also, I, I, I said that the, it's, a, it's an athlete with recurrent cramping. I'll just give a few other, you know, more red flags. Somebody who should seek help would be if there's a strong family history of muscle cramping. We have shown in one paper, it's a, it's a very, very early association, but that there is a genetic component perhaps related to cramping. Mm-hmm. Um, so that your family history is the second one. 
The, the third one is if the cramping episode was associated with a, a whole body cramping in all muscles, also non-exercising muscles, if they occur at rest also, not just during exercise, if the uh, cramping has ever resulted in being semi-confused, comatose, uh, or, you know, uh, altered loss of consciousness. And then the last one would be if the cramping was associated with a very dark urine, uh, almost like red or black urine, you know, just after the cramping or in association with the cramping. Uh, those are all, uh, you know, we call them red flags that should make an, a, an athlete with cramping go and see the doctor and explain what has happened to them so that they can be appropriately investigated. Okay, and just to not over-scare our, our listeners, if you're thinking, well, I'm a frequent cramper, but you're, you're cramping in long, hard races where you're tearing yourself apart, we're, we're not necessarily saying that you need to say, seek or that you have a medical issue that you need to go and seek help for right away. So we're really talking about unusual and, and frequent cramping here that often doesn't seem to have a, a clear relation to, hey, you just ripped yourself apart on the bike and now you're cramping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but, 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 I, but I just want to emphasize that if you've ever, you know, were confused, comatose, a, a very dark urine, blood, which is, other, which is usually a reflection of other blood or a pigment from the muscle called myoglobin in the urine, then I do think that you need to get some help because, you know, that's, uh, you may have heard of a condition called rhabdomyolysis, but cramping and rhabdomyolysis can sometimes go hand in hand, and that could be a serious condition. So I would uh, also suggest that those people get get some help. But having said that, you know, if, looks in, if I take a, 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 a thousand, um, you know, cyclists or runners with, with, who may be listening to this who, who cramping, we're talking about these serious forms of cramping that need medical help as probably being less than 10%. We asked Tom Skunch his thoughts on cramping, mostly because we love having Toms on the podcast. Though I'm not sure whiskey is the best solution for cramping. So we'll follow that up with some of our thoughts and then finish out the podcast with Dr. Swellness's advice, which is definitely the advice you should listen to. Yeah. Just, just drink pickle juice. <laughs> that's actually, that is, uh, that's like legit. I know. You should do that. Yeah. It's awesome. I love pickle Proven. juice. I love pickles in general. <laughs> I'm going to just eat a couple. <laughs> you ever get like, you know, call up uh, Tom Southern on the on the radio like, hey, pickle juice. I need some pickles. <laughs> no. I have, however, asked for whiskey. Really? Yeah. That was like one of, I think it was in Colorado, like one of the really cold days. And I saw a gas station. I was like, there's a gas station. Get me some whiskey. <laughs> and they just stopped for coffee. I was like, F <laughs> Oh, it's warm enough. At least. <laughs> so what I tell my athletes when they're having cramping issues, and we'll go, this will actually be a good segue. Let's talk about some of the things you can do. Um, so there must be ways to prevent these things. Right. right. But one of the things I tell them is before – key races or before the start of the season, you need to go and get that intensity. So I send them out to those hard group rides and, and tell them, rip yourselves apart. And part of that is trying to prevent that cramping. When I have an athlete who is very susceptible to cramping, I do tell them, don't make your first important race also your first race because you're going to cramp. So, so get it out of your system. Okay. So ways to prevent cramping. We talked about training more. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a way to prevent all sorts of different ways you can lose bike racing. Uh, what is there anything else that can be done? I mean, uh, the way that uh, you were using two terms for uh, essentially 
what's forcing a contraction versus what's forcing a a uncontraction, a loosening of the muscle that I don't actually remember. But you also mentioned earlier that the loosening of a muscle, the stretching of a muscle is a good way to stop a cramp. And that that's actually right. one of the things that is pointed to this altered neuromuscular control theory is the fact that you could stretch and essentially stretch out of a cramp. Maybe explain that because that's a good way if you do run across cramps in the middle of a race, that's a good way to get rid of them. That's how I've always done it. I mean, at Leadville, I, I cramped at the bottom of Columbine on the way back. This is like 40 miles to go and still finish the race because you just sort of I stood up for a bit. I probably lost two or three minutes, stood up, stretched, kept riding. It was okay. Right. So let's separate uh, prevention from what to do uh, when you're experiencing a cramp. And maybe we start with what do you do when, when you experience it because you're, you're bringing that up. And still, the, the best treatment for a cramp when a cramp happens is stretching that muscle. Sometimes there's ways to do it on the bike. And if you watch the Tour de France, every once in a while, you'll see riders unclip from the pedal on a, a downhill and they'll stretch their quad or they'll try to stretch their, their calves. Don't try this at home. <laughs> Don't try this at home. But I, I get periodically uh, cramps in my calves. And so one of the things I learned in um, the research is going back to that injuries making you more susceptible is actually having a back problem. Um, there was a whole study on rugby players, and they found that back problems cause cramping in calves, which was a real light bulb for me because I've been having back problems for the last couple of years. And right when, at the same time that my back problems started having happening, that's when I started getting my, my cramping in my calves hmm. on training rides and in races. And I kept trying to address the calves. It was actually a back problem. It was weakness in the back that was causing my calves to uh, fatigue more quickly and cramp. So what exactly is it about stretching that ends a cramp or prevents a cramp or keeps cramps from coming back? So think about when you've done a stretch and you've held it for a couple minutes. You have this initial point where it feels like the muscle's fighting against you. And then after you hold it for 30, 40, 45 seconds, maybe even a minute, you just kind of have this ah feeling. And the muscle releases and all of a sudden you can sink deeper into that stretch. That is the Golgi tendon activating and, and, and sending that inhibitory signal to reduce the excitation of the muscle. So again, this is why it backs that neuromuscular theory, because that's quite literally what the stretching is doing, is shifting that balance between the inhibitory Golgi tendons and the excitatory, exci I can never pronounce this, excitatory? Very excited. Very excited, <laughs> very excited spindles. So the cramping's caused by that imbalance where the spindles are taking over and causing excitation. So stretching actually shifts the balance back and says, no, now we're going to have the Golgi tendons dominate. Golgi tendons is a hilarious word. You like that one? I like that one. Yeah. It's pretty of cool. all of all the physiology terms that we throw around on fast talk, Golgi tendons might be one of my favorites. So another one. A little trick that I have employed after I, I learned about all this, I went back to my old physiology books and looked up where are the Golgi tendons located because you get little clusters. Hmm. And what I have actually done, and I, I was in a race last year. We hit the base of a hill that was the critical hill, and I cramped. Um, and what I literally did was jammed my thumb right into an area where I knew I had a cluster. Hmm. Um, and pushing on them can activate them. And that actually reduced the cramp enough for me to continue racing. Huh. I've heard about, yeah, like actually acupuncture and things being used yep. to, you know, dry needling being used to sort of alleviate really bad cramps. No, and same thing. Um, 
you look at what the, the effects that massage has on the muscles, it again reduces excitation, increases inhibition. But unfortunately, nobody has done that study. And until the study is done, it's a theory, but there's no evidence for it. So what else can people do if you're in the middle of a bike race and you start cramping? So here's a couple weird ones. I like one. weird ones. <laughs> and this one, I don't get it. Um, but there have been two studies that show this is effective. Hyperventilate. Weird. The theory being that um, acidosis of, of the blood um, influences cramping. And if you hyperventilate, you are changing that ba acid-base balance um, in a way that's going to reduce the cramping. Is this sort of like drinking water upside down to get rid of the hiccups? Probably. <laughs> Except there's actually research to, to back this one. I've never seen us. I haven't looked for a study on upside down with hiccups. My grandma says that that is the way that you do it, Trevor. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Kaylee's Trevor. grandma is never wrong. It's true. So hyperventilate. Hyperventilate. Gets rid of cramps. Okay, that's an interesting one. Uh, what else can people do? So here's the one that I, I hate <coughs> to bring up. Uh, and I don't know if this is more preventative than what to do at the time, because I'm not sure anybody would take this with them in a bike race. Mm. And this was one of the bits of evidence that they, they had for the hydration electrolyte theory. Drinking pickle juice. And a lot of people who suffer from cramping swear by, by pickle juice. And I did actually find a study that showed that, yeah, hey, pickle juice helps a bit. But... They even said, we don't think it's the sodium. We don't think it's actually the electrolytes. They're, let, me, let me find this because I don't want to get this wrong. What they said is they think it is the acetic acid that you find in pickle juice. And it actually affects a, a neurotransmitter that could then ultimately affect that inhibition excitation balance. Weird. Pickle juice. So pickle juice hyperventilation, stab yourself in the legs. That's, that's another option. With your thumb. With your thumb. Nothing, nothing too sharp. Uh, stretch. What else is there? So that's what, the only things I can offer to, to do at the time. So let's talk about prevention. And here's one of my favorites. That This is a quote out of one of the studies uh, that is possibly the nicest way that I can think of saying this. It says, minimizing fatigue is the best strategy. <laughs> which is a really diplomatic way of saying, get fitter. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right. Makes sense. But there are actually a lot of things that you can do to help beforehand. So we already talked about massage. Hydration and electrolytes can help. But now the theory is it's not because the uh, dehydration or the, the uh, loss of electrolytes is what's causing the cramping, it's more that they delay fatigue. And that's just proper nutrition and hydration. Right. Yeah. You, you don't get your electrolytes, you don't hydrate during a race, you know what's going to happen to you. That mm -hmm. contributes to fatigue. So if you're taking them, you're not going to fatigue as rapidly. Mm -hmm. Returning to the training thing, is there anything like, is there a rule of thumb we should go, be going by here? You know, if, you're, if your race is five hours long, your longest ride should be six hours long or something like that is, is there's kind of a rule of thumb that people can use to make sure that they, you know, that they're, that they're shocking their body to the right levels. I mean, like I said, we're seeing Peter Sagan cramp in early classics races and then not cramp later. I mean, clearly it's just a repetitive a re repetition thing, right? So you're getting more my opinion, um, as a coach and we from experience. Opinion. We want your opinion as a coach, Trevor. <laughs> That's why we have a podcast. Which episode is this? First time Kelly has said this. I got to go with it. Um, whenever I have an athlete that 
or a new athlete and they say one of the big issues is cramping. That's one of the things that I see a lot is they're doing three hour races and they're doing a lot of one or two hour rides or they're going and doing the, the group rides and racing for 35 minutes to get ready for their two, three hour race. And then they always say it's in the second or third hour of the race that I'm cramping. You go, right. Your body is not used to that much intensity for that long. So the muscles are fatiguing. They're not ready for this. And, and that's why you're cramping. So I am a big believer in you don't have to do it a ton, but you should be doing rides that are at least as long, preferably longer than your races. And what I like to have them do is, again, I see a lot of riders go, okay, I'm going to go out and do a four-hour ride. They do a bunch of intensity in the first hour and then ride really easy. I prefer the do some work at the beginning, but let's throw in some really hard intensity in that third or fourth hour to get your muscles used to going hard when they are fatigued. Um, and when I use those sorts of protocols with athletes, that seems to build the sort of fitness that reduces or eliminates their cramping. Hmm. Other prevention, and you might have already thought of this one. So we said a shortened muscle is more susceptible to cramping because when a muscle is short, that causes the, the Golgi tendon to be, to be less active. So to do this gets really confusing for a lot of people when you say it, it inhibits the Golgi tendon and that inhibits the Golgi head tendons in inhibition, which causes excitation. Have I lost it yet? Yep. Good. <laughs> but anyway, that's cool. But I got the I got the, I got the gist. So the point is, shortened muscle is more susceptible to cramping. So getting a good bike fit is a factor. And tell that when you go when you go into a good bike fitter, tell them I get a lot of cramping, say in my hamstrings. What might be happening is you are in a position, perhaps your saddle's too low, that your hamstrings are constantly in a shortened position and you're making yourself more susceptible. And they can adjust your position so you keep that muscle a little more lengthened and you're less susceptible to cramping. Interesting. Last one is what they call in the research corrective exercise. So it says it right in the title. Uh, it, it's altered neuromuscular control. So doing things that help the neuromuscular sides of, of uh, your muscles. There was a little bit of research that plyometrics can help, and that's that activity that you do in the winter, or you can even continue during the season, of short, explosive motions, like jumping off of a box and then jumping again as you hit the ground, jumping over cones, those sorts of things. Strengthening. Again, a weak muscle fatigues quicker. And there was an interesting study where an athlete had a weakened glute muscle, which put a greater load on their hamstring, and that was causing cramping. So as soon as they strengthened the glutes, the cramping went away. So off-the-bike strength work in the winter, if you are somebody who cramps a lot, will likely help you. All right. Stretch, poke yourself in the legs, uh, hyperventilate, train more, and do box jumps. All the parts of a good training program. <laughs> this is what all my athletes do. <laughs> Certainly for, for an athlete who's cramping a lot in races, they might even want to just look at how are they prepping for the races. Are they coming in doing way too much training for it and, and maybe just want to think about resting for several days into the race um, to make sure that they're, they're a little more recovered and uh, see if they're just going in with too much muscle damage. What are other things that athletes could do to help prevent cramping in a, in a critical race? You know, uh, we, we spoke about the secondary causes, underlying medical conditions, medication use, and so on. So, so if, if we're not, you know, that would be one thing. The recurrent cramp, and I gave the, 
the uh, other guidelines as to when they should seek medical help. But if they don't fall into that category, then it's all about avoiding uh, the premature fatigue situation by the following main things. So, you know, it, it comes down to the training that they do in preparation for the race should be appropriate for the race. They should be well-trained for the race. We spoke about immediately before the race, let's say in the week before the race, there definitely needs to be a taper for recovery so that they don't go into the race with subclinical damage. When they go into the race, then it's a question of assessing what are the uh, novel or external factors that could be particular factors on that day. And hot environmental conditions would result in premature fatigue, so they may need to taper down uh, or, or tone down the the intensity uh, based on that. Rather, you start off a little bit at a low intensity and then see how they progress with the race rather than going too fast at the beginning. Um, if the course, uh, whether it's cycling or running, is a particular demanding course, being, say, more hilly than what they're used to, then they need to take that into account um, so that, you, again, you don't expose the muscles to premature fatigue. Then be aware of the early warning signs of, of muscle cramping and we didn't really speak about this a lot, but we, we coined the term the cramp-prone state. Uh, other colleagues of mine have done some research uh, in the U.S. in ultra, you know, multi-stage ultra events called it the pre-cramp state. Um, and, and an athlete would, can, can experience this, and it's when the muscle, a muscle starts becoming tired and starts twitching. Now, the worst thing that an athlete can do at that point is to try and run through that. Right. Um, and so I would advise uh, them at that point to uh, regard that as an early warning sign and perhaps slow down a little bit. Um, and uh, if there's an opportunity, they could stretch the muscle because stretching of the muscle activates that Golgi tendon organ and causes a reduction in the twitchiness, as we've discussed before. So they can do that. And they may have to reduce the intensity for a period until, uh, you know, let's say until the coast is now over the uphill part and now the downhill part and so on. So they may have to do that for a time and they need to manage the intensity of exercise to not aggravate that so-called cramp prone state to go into full cramp. You know, then there would be other general things. I mean, any, any, any athlete who's uh, involved in endurance sport, you know, the dietary factors are important. So in providing nutrients so that you don't develop premature fatigue. It would be a question of enough, um, you know, external uh, nutrients in the form of carbohydrates or uh, if you're a fat-adapted athlete, then fat intake would be important. So it's, uh, let me just generally call that, you know, the nutritional strategies to prevent fatigue would be important. As far as fluid is concerned, I mean, we, uh, we advocate fluid intake uh, in, 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 in proportion to thirst. Overhydration is a danger for development of hyponatremia which can cause generalized body cramps as well and, uh, you know, and fits. So, so overhydration is a problem. Um, if anything, be rather slightly underhydrated than overhydrated if you're prone to cramping. So it's opposite to what most people would believe. As far as other supplements and things are concerned, we haven't really found any evidence and other colleagues of ours have also not found any evidence of taking salt tablets or magnesium or anything else. Maybe the last uh, point that I would like to make is a, a recent interest in uh, substances which are marketed, which um, are pungent. Uh, there are various forms of it, but there are, you know, hot chili peppers and uh, pickle juice and a whole lot of other substances. And these substances 
uh, are said to activate channels in the mouth, particularly in the upper gastrointestinal tract, who then overload the nervous system with a sensation and uh, are then uh, used as a possible treatment of an acute cramp. And then, uh, you know, recently advocated also as even preventing cramps. And the, the science behind that is very thin. The theory may be good one because it, it does, it is one mechanism to perhaps alter this neuromuscular control by kind of tricking the nervous system into saying, I've got a bigger problem with a lot of chilies in my mouth than with my muscles. And then, you know, a, a hypersensitization of these channels will cause a, a, a dampening down of a muscle contraction. To me, that sorts out perhaps the symptom and not the cause. And the cause is the same. The cause is not a deficiency of hot chili peppers in your mouth of cramping. So that's not the answer to a problem. It, it would be a much wiser for an athlete to look at what are the, what are the risk factors and what are the causes of their particular cramping as we've outlined and discussed this afternoon. Right. But I do remember reading about pickle juice and, and they were saying that it actually affects neural pathways versus uh, what a lot of people thought, which was just the high salt content of the juice. Yeah, I think that's been the biggest contribution. I, I know the researchers who've done that research with the pickle juice, and it's a really good study. What they, what they set out to do was to say, okay, what we'll do is we'll give a high concentration of sodium chloride in the mouth, we'll measure the concentration of sodium chloride, and if pickle juice in the mouth works, then what will happen is that uh, it will increase the sodium chloride concentration in the blood, and there will be no cramps. So what they did find actually was um, that it did delay the onset of a laboratory-induced cramp, not a, you know, we spoke about that earlier, not one in the field, um, but it happened within a few seconds. So it's impossible, and they did measure the concentrations of these ions, or the sodium in the blood, then of course that wouldn't have changed in a few seconds. So the main contribution of that research was that they concluded that this was on the basis of a neuromuscular control problem and not an electrolyte problem. Okay. So what they set out to do was to prove the electrolyte problem, and they actually proved the electro the uh, abnormal neuromuscular control issue. That's fascinating. In that situation where you're in a race and that cramp hits you, what can you do? So that's a good question, and um, the the best answer is so. What most athletes we've done a lot of research. What most athletes would say is the most effective treatment is to stretch it. And as it turns out, that stretching is the, in, uh, is, the, is, a, is the most physiological mechanism because it activates those Golgi tendon organs, which then inhibit the muscle. So the most effective treatment for a cramp is to, um, is to stretch it. A passive stretch, the initial 10 seconds may make it a bit worse because you're activating that very sensitive spindle. And then after about 10 or 15 seconds, when you hold the stretch, then the muscle um, uh, will relax because it activates that Golgi tendon organ. And we, 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 we proved that very, very well with using uh, EMG activity to measure that uh, many, many years ago. So that's the most effective acute first aid treatment of a cramp. The problem is what happens after that, because as soon as you get up, you contract this muscle again in a shortened position, the cramp may come back. And so the, the, there will be a time lapse between that acute cramp and then the relief with the stretch, that the muscle just needs to recover from its fatiguing, fatigued state. And in that time period, it would be an issue of, you know, you can't really go back to, to your, your, your race or your exercise. That would be quite hard. 
um, and you just have to let it rest. Uh, you can eat something to replenish energy. You can drink something, uh, but not overhydrate yourself, but you just go drinking according to your thirst. And then we would have to go back and analyze why did I get that? You know, where did I go wrong? Was it on the hill I was going too fast or uh, did I start off the race with, um, you know, with uh, uh, sort of very hard training sessions right up to the end of the race? You know, we didn't speak, but one of the other secondary causes is perhaps uh, an acute illness. Uh, did I not feel well in the, in the few days before the race? Maybe, uh, you know, as I said, there's use of medication. Uh, am I using any medication that was recently prescribed? Etc. So the, the 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 athlete needs to go back and work out, you know, what did, what what went wrong here, and uh, they may need to get some professional help from people who understand this to to tease it all out. And I guess the the one last thing I'd also throw in there is you you mentioned the the issue with with shortening that you tend to see cramps more in a muscle that's shortened. Um, if an athlete is experiencing cramping frequently in the same muscle. Right now, I'm talking about cyclists. I would also imagine going and getting their their position checked on the bike because perhaps they're in a position where the muscles uh, constantly in a shortened state, and lengthening yeah, that muscle might point. help. Yeah, that's a very good point, Trevor. Thanks very much for bringing it up. You're right. The other thing to do would be, you know, not to get yourself into a state where you are constantly sitting in exactly the same position to vary it as much as you can. You know, while you're cycling. While you're running, to actually vary, vary uh, your running style, vary this where you run, the surface that you run on, going a bit faster, going a bit slow every now and again. In other words, a, a variation would be a good thing to not get into that position where it's in one one single position all the time. That makes a lot of sense. All right, I think that's a pretty good. I think that's a pretty good little roundup of cramping and what to do about it and what causes it and the fact that and this is the big one here, the electrolytes you're taking in are probably not or the lack of electrolytes you're not taking in, uh, are probably not the cause of your cramps. The cause of your cramps is probably something more like you need to train harder, which is, again, as you as you alluded to earlier, Trevor, maybe not what our listeners want to hear. But uh, alas, we are we are here to bring you the hard truths here at Fast Talk. Do it, Andrew. End it there. I like that. <laughs> the hard truths. This is Trevor Connor and Kaylee Fretz, and this is 60 Minutes. <laughs> That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Be sure to leave us a, co- a rating and a comment. While you're there, check out our sister podcast, the Velo News Podcast, which covers news about the week in cycling. You can hear me share my amazing thoughts and opinions on that podcast as well. Uh, I actually know what I'm talking about in that podcast, unlike this one where I just asked Trevor lots of questions. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash velonews and on Twitter at twitter.com slash velonews. Fast Talk is a co-production of Connor Coaching and Velonews, which is owned by Competitor Group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Trevor Connor, I'm Kaylee Fritz. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 